Hello, my wonderful friends, and welcome back to yet another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 45, and it's part one, part one of a new three-part series that we're doing, kind of a spur-of-the-moment uh, short series, and I'm calling it Lies We Believe About God. Now, if you're a nerdy reader person like I am, you'll notice that the, the series holds the same title as a book that was written by William Paul Young, who we actually had on the podcast uh, a few weeks back. And the book is, a if you pick it up, it's like a fairly quick read. Um, in each chapter, he kind of tackles what he calls a different lie that we would sometimes believe about God, like a lie or an idea or a thought about God that really kind of limits our view of who God is. And then in some cases, it can actually end up stunting our spiritual growth so that we stop growing and we stop evolving. Some would say that's a good thing. Some say you want to kind of stay in a stagnant place. Um, I think that spiritual growth is all about growing and evolving and uh, changing. So Young's point is that these lies hold us back from from doing that. And so in these next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to kind of share with you um, a few a few of those lies and share with you how, for me, rejecting those lies or turning my back on those lies, or at the very least, kind of rethinking my thoughts around these ideas has actually helped my faith grow and evolve and change and has created in me what I think is a deeper appreciation for God and the Bible and humanity. So I had something else planned for these next few weeks, but uh, this idea kind of came to me when I finished up his book, and uh, I'm excited to share with you uh, some of those some of those ideas. But before we get into all of that, um, a few reminders. Uh, number one, time out youth. I have been mentioning this for the last couple of weeks. I am super excited about this. Um, me and four of my friends are going to a place in Charlotte called Time Out Youth, uh, which is an organization that supports LGBTQ kids um, and gives them and their families and their allies kind of a place to hang out and be empowered. And what they do is a few times a week, they serve dinner to these people. And so me and four of my friends are going to Time Out Youth at the end of June uh, to cook and serve dinner to these kids and their families and their friends. And I'm super excited about it. Um, and I wanted to invite you to join us in that uh, by maybe being willing to donate some money uh, because we have to buy all of the food, all of the supplies, and cook the meal for 40, about 40 people. We've got to do three meals, uh, gluten-free, vegetarian, and regular. Uh, so if you'd like to contribute to that, um, you can do that by sending money through PayPal, uh, the Cash App, Apple Cash, whatever you want. All the links will be in the show notes. You can also reach out to me on Facebook and things like that, and I can give you more detailed instructions. But we've already raised, I hope you're sitting down, because we have already raised $435 for this thing. I was not expecting that at all, so I am like super blown away. Uh, and whatever money is left over, we're going to actually give as a donation to Time Out Youth, and we will have a handwritten card with your name in it if you contribute some some money. So uh, end of June is when we're going. So I would say by like June 20th will probably be the deadline for uh, for the money. And that's about another 10 days from now. So time out youth, if you want to donate, that's awesome. Uh, secondly, 
I've noticed some new traffic coming into the uh, podcast, and so I just wanted to take a moment to welcome uh, all of you who are new. Maybe you've been around for the last few weeks. Uh, Thank you so much for dropping by. And if you're wondering what the heck this thing is, uh, the What If Project, if you go all the way back to the very first episode, you'll get a very rough um, idea of where this came from and kind of how it came to be. Uh, But real quick, the the kind of short explanation is that we explore the question of what if there are ways of understanding God and the Bible and church and Christianity and faith and all those things that are maybe a little bit different than the ways in which our traditions have handed us throughout the course of our lives. And so we take on all these crazy topics, um, things like hell and LGBTQ and, you know, why did Jesus die and what's the deal with that and all these different kind of things. And we, we kind of come at them from a very, what I would say is maybe non-traditional way in terms of the way that many of us were brought up and raised. So some people might call it like, you know, this is like a place where uh, deconstruction happens, you know, where we take apart our ideas and a reconstruction where we put them back together. I think it's just a place of like remodeling and rethinking um, and just being open to uh, different ways of thought and different ways of understanding all of those things. So uh, that said, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, this series, like I said, allows we believe about God. Um, in the summer, in July, we're doing another series. Um, it's going to be a five-part series, and there's going to be a different interview every week. So, oh, I should tell you that too. So if you are new, uh, you'll notice that I do a lot of like solo episodes, and I like doing those because I used to be a pastor, and I used to have to uh, prepare sermons every week. And that was actually one of the things that I enjoyed about being a pastor. It was kind of all the other stuff uh, that got in the way, but I missed that and I like that. And I feel like that's my wheelhouse. And so um, I try to do three, if like, if, if a month has four weeks in it, I try to do three uh, solo episodes like this um, a month and then one interview a month. So ideally I would have at least 12 solid interviews um, in a year. Then the other ones would be solo episodes like this. Uh, But like I said, in July, we're doing five interviews. And uh, I will tell you more about that in a couple weeks. But it's going to be, it's going to be a wild time. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, But anyway, all that to say, this is episode number 45. uh, Part one of our three-part series, I'm calling Lies We Believe About God. In this episode, I am calling lie number one, God is a man. (laughs) Lie number one, uh, God is a man. So again, a few weeks back, um, I interviewed William Paul Young on the podcast, and he also wrote a book called The Shack, which is what we were talking about when he was on last time. Uh, And you've probably heard of that book, but if not, like a quick quick search through the Googles is going to tell you pretty much like everything you've got to know. And uh, we'll reveal to you a mountain of controversy uh, surrounding the book, most of which comes from, you probably can guess, uh, the more conservative branches of evangelical uh, Christianity. You see, when the movie first came out, uh, I remember <laughs> I remember going back and forth uh, with a few people on Facebook because they were like absolutely outraged that William Paul Young portrayed God the Father or God the Creator as a black woman named Papa. And I'm not sure if they were more offended about the black part or the woman part, but let's just say uh, there were a handful of people on on my Facebook uh, friends list in particular who were absolutely 
beyond ticked. Like, maybe God can be black, but he definitely, absolutely, positively cannot be anything other than a he. And I'll make a confession. We'll use this as a, my like mini confessional booth right here. Uh, since I knew how ticked off they were, um, of course, I had to stir the pot a little bit and uh, I had to defend William Paul Young, right? Like he could have portrayed, at that point, like he could have portrayed God to be a Martian or a zombie or a wolf or whatever. I would have gone to bat for this guy just to rattle some cages a little bit and cause some controversy. Uh, sometimes you just got to kick the hornet's nest, you know? But seriously though, uh, the book had received a lot of pushback and like a lot of hate, especially revolving around how uh, William Paul Young portrays what we would call in the church to be the Trinity, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the book, he, he portrays God the Father to be a black woman named Papa. Uh, Jesus, he says, or, or shows, is, a, is the Son who is a, a young Middle Eastern man. Then the Holy Spirit he portrays as a young um, Asian woman. And the pushback, I mean, the pushback was loud, not just from the people on my Facebook page, but like you can just go read people's blogs and people's, um, you know, reviews of the book. And eventually when the movie came out, uh, people were really upset because they insisted that God, uh, specifically God the Father, has to be a man. And many of them insisted that he's not just a man, but he's a white man. Like that image that many of us have of this, you know, old white dude in the sky with this really long beard who resides somewhere up in the clouds somewhere. And then uh, these people, when they like to throw an exclamation point at the end of these arguments, uh, they pointed to all of these Bible verses, right? Because that's what Christians do, right? When they have an argument and they're adamant about something, they've got a, a whole arsenal of verses to fire at you to prove their point. So that all of these verses where, you know, God is referred to as a father or as a shepherd, um, as a he, and how God came to earth to reside within a male body of Jesus and, and various other ways in the Bible that God is referred to as a male, um, not only in the Bible, but other ancient books and writings as well. So, you know, God is a man, they would say, like there, there is no other way to understand it. But of course, uh, I am here on the What If Project to ask what if, right? Like what if this is not the case? What if God is not a man? What if he and him and his aren't the best words to describe um, who God is and what God represents? What if reading the Bible in such a literal way, where we point to the, the, the words he and his as, and the descriptors of you know father and shepherd and warrior, as evidence for God's manliness, what if that isn't really the best way to read the Bible? What if that's not the way the Bible is meant to be read and, and used? And what if our insistence upon reading the Bible in that way is actually creating an inaccurate and unhealthy view of understanding who God is? Or better yet, what if our insistence on seeing God as a man and only a man is giving us a really limited view and limited understanding of the depth of God's nature, of who the divine is and how the divine can relate to creation. You see, one of the things I've recognized throughout my time in the church, and I've been involved in the church for like a long, long time. I've been going to church since I was, I don't know, maybe in like fourth grade, I can remember, third grade. 
Um, went to Christian high school, Bible college, internships, pastor churches, all those things. So one of the things I've recognized in my time in the church is that when it comes to uh, Western evangelical churches in particular, that are often made up of uh, male-dominated leadership teams, the idea that God is a man gives this sort of unspoken and maybe even subconscious permission for those male-dominated teams to put men in control, to silence women, and to let decisions be made and visions be cast by groups that are largely influenced and dominated and controlled by men. And in my experience, the idea of God being a man, that is not an idea that a lot of those churches and those leadership teams are willing to loosen their grip on and rethink. Because if they do, and if they recognize that perhaps God is not a man and is more than a man or whatever, then they would have to rethink their structures of power, right? And they'd have to restructure their teams so that other genders are given the same voice and the same influence, male, female, transgender, etc. Ten years ago, and I've talked about this before in the podcast too, but ten years ago, I pastored a uh, old Dutch Reformed Church. And uh, I've mentioned it before, but if you go do some research, uh, you will discover that the Reformed Church of America, it was part of the RCA, which is the acronym for uh, Reformed Church of America. They have some elements and branches that are like super forward in their thinking. Uh, But like anything else, they've also got some branches that are really conservative, uh, really traditional, and like really unwilling to open themselves up to the idea that there might be another way to understand things like this, that there might be another way to understand and think about God apart from the usual uh, male descriptors. And I remember when I uh, interviewed to be their pastor, I went there for like a, I was like an eight o'clock at night interview. Everybody's done with work and I met them at the church. We sat in the pastor study and uh, they interviewed me. And one of the questions that they asked me was whether I thought women should be permitted to teach and preach and lead in the church because this is a, a if you're not familiar with the church world this is like a big debate in a lot of churches whether or not women um, are allowed to teach and to preach so I was fresh out of seminary and so I knew both sides of the argument pretty well and I knew that they being a more conservative and traditional church would probably stand on the side that said women are not permitted to teach but I told them I told them I didn't have a problem with it I think I said something like let women teach let them preach, let them lead, let them be pastors, let them do whatever men can do because they can probably do it better anyways, right? And so I remember I got a few like weird looks and it was a little bit quiet. And then they asked me why I thought that way and how I would I would respond to the passages in Paul's letters, right? They had their arsenal of Bible verses ready. Uh, how I would respond to these verses in the New Testament where Paul pretty much forbids women to teach and even speak in the church, Uh, This is what the Bible says, they reminded me. So what do you have to say about about that? So we went back and forth a little bit. I talked about, you know, understanding those verses in the proper culture and the context and things like that. But one of the things that uh, the board member, there was a board member who was present there, and he kind of raised his hand uh, halfway through my my, uh, responses. And he brought up his belief that since God is a man, And since Paul in the Bible seems to have had a lot to say about women not being able to teach, he said those two things merged together must mean 
that men are to be the decision makers and teachers and authority figures. Now, that's a huge jump to make, right? Uh, first of all, he's assuming God has to be a man. And he's also assuming that what Paul said uh, hundreds and thousands of years ago uh, to these specific churches is what's supposed to stand all the way up to, to today. And, and so he merges these two things together. And he says that obviously men are to be the decision makers. And I remember just sitting there like, I don't know what to say. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't think that's really the best way to read the Bible and to use it. And they kind of just moved on to the next question and moved that over the back burner. And yet they still hired me. And I think that shows that God has an unrelenting sense of humor uh, because they still brought me in to be their, their pastor, which was an interesting adventure from there. But anyway, again, one of the things I would ask that old church of mine and even other Christians who uh, think along these lines is, what if this view of God is not only limiting our understanding of God, but is also really handicapping our ability to fully function as God has intended the church to function? Like, what if, what if that church's insistence that God is a man, and therefore women should be forbidden to teach and lead in transgender people, I mean, forget about it, they shouldn't even be allowed to participate in certain elements of the church, like communion and the Lord's Supper and stuff like that, what if this view of God is really causing us to outcast and fence off and even muzzle women and transgender people and thus completely closing us off to a whole deeper layer of understanding God and our spiritual lives? Because what if God is a man? What if God is a woman? What if God is both male and female? Or what if God is without gender altogether? Like, what if God was right? <laughs> Imagine that. What if God was right when he told Moses back in the book of Exodus that his name is I Am? And what if that name, what if that name, God's name being I Am, what if that means that he is capable of being whatever she needs to be for whoever he or she needs to be it for? Let me say that again. What if God was right when he told Moses that his name is I Am? And what if that means that he, God, is capable of being whatever she, God, needs to be for whoever he or she needs to be it for? And what if we could be faithful readers of the Bible and still believe this kind of thing to be true? Now, if you're still listening, if you have not thrown your phone out the window... Uh, hit it with a hammer or just turn me off. Props to you. Uh, thank you for hanging in here with me as I think through this. Um, and that's, a, that's an important thing for me because, listen, this is new stuff for me too. Um, I used to be that conservative person. Um, I used to be that person who was super traditional in all of his thinking. And I've only recently in the last you know, four years or so started to rethink this stuff more publicly. I was thinking about it quietly for a while, but I've only more recently started to come out and talk about this stuff uh, freely. So thank you, not only in this episode, but really in all of these episodes for kind of hanging in here with me and uh, walking with me through this process of thinking through some of these bigger topics. Uh, but to be honest, I don't think this is a stretch, you know, to say that we need to rethink this stuff. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Bible supports and maybe even draws or lures us into this rethinking process around this idea of God being a, a man. I mean, sure, the Bible paints a, 
a pretty manly view of God. We could definitely make that argument. There's really no arguing that. Uh, God is often referred to as he, right? God, like we said before, came to earth in the form of a male body, Jesus. Uh, Jesus called God Father, right? One could very easily open the Bible, maybe pick any 10 pages at random and come away believing that God must be a man. And the thing is, though, like all of that should really be expected if you think about it. Because after all, the Bible, remember, was written in a very patriarchal world where women were uneducated and men were seen as the more powerful, dominant, and valuable sex. Uh, The biblical writers wrote about and viewed God really in their own image and through the lens of their own culture, just like we so often do today. But, But even so, in the midst of all of the he's and the fathers and the male descriptors of God, you have other things going on beneath the surface of the scriptures. Okay, so for instance, there's this one time uh, that Jesus told the parable of the lost coin. Uh, The Pharisees were were mad because uh, he was eating with various tax collectors and people that they considered to be uh, sinners. And they could not like wrap their mind around the idea of why in the world a Jewish rabbi of his supposed caliber would be seen hanging around with such riffraff. And so Jesus responded. And he he responded by telling a a series of parables or stories about how God goes out looking for the lost and refuses to come home until he's found them. And in one of those parables, he shared the story of a woman who lost a coin but refused to stop looking until she found it. God, his point was, is like that woman. And then there was another time when Jesus was looking over the city of Jerusalem. And he cried out and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I long to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Jesus, God, is like a mother hen trying to gather her chicks under her wings. Or how about all the way back in the book of Genesis? Right? When God created the universe, the storyteller says that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created humanity in his image. He made males in his image. He made females in his image. And so this must mean that God has masculine qualities. God has feminine qualities. God is male, but she is also female. He's both genders, and yet she's neither gender. And yet somehow, he or she transcends gender altogether. And dare I say, becomes transcendent gender. God is intimately connected to males. God is intimately connected to females. God is intimately connected to transgender people. He's reflected in them. She is mirrored in them. He or she is living in and speaking and acting through them. You see, here's what I'm trying to say. It's possible, it is 100% possible to read the Bible and come away holding strong to this idea that God is a man and absolutely nothing else. But I'm not sure that's the best way to read the Bible. And guys, I'm not even sure that's what the writers of the Bible were trying to portray. Sure, we see places where God is described as a man, 
But then there are also places where God is portrayed as a woman and as a mother. And in Jesus, we see a a man, yes, but who is dominated not by masculine qualities of strength and dominance and fortitude, but the more feminine qualities of meekness and gentleness and peace. And then in the creation story, I see a God who creates two genders in his own image, which tells me that God contains both genders as opposed to one and really prefers neither one over over the other. But he transcends them to be God, the God who is whatever he needs to be whenever she needs to be it, to whoever he or she needs to be it to. You see, and I think that if we're willing to open ourselves up to this possibility, I think it can only widen our scope of understanding who God is. In the shack, in Young's book, uh, God the Creator, or God the Father, we said is portrayed as a, a black woman named Papa. But then there's this interesting twist at the end of the book. Um, At the end of the story, when the main character, his name was Mackenzie, he's got to go back and face the place of his deepest pain in his life. Papa appears to him not as a black woman, but as an old grandfather-like man. And I always thought that was weird, right? Like, why? Why in the beginning of the story is is God the Father a black woman? Why at the end is he like an old grandfather-like guy? Here's the thing. Because early on in the story, Mackenzie needed a God who was more like a mother. He was wrestling with his uh, daughter's death. And so he needed a God who was more like a mother who would embrace him, cry with him, mother him, sit with him at her kitchen table as he wept and processed through his pain, and almost coddle him in a protective kind of a way. But towards the end of the book, Mackenzie needed to leave his mother's kitchen table, so to speak, and go face his pain. And to do that, he needed a God who had been through some things. He needed a God whose hands were dirty and rough. He needed a God who was scarred and weak and tired. He needed a God who had been there and done that. He needed a God who could show him the way to navigate the pain he had only recently come to accept in the kidnapping and murder of his young daughter. You see, when Mackenzie needed a mother, God was there. When Mackenzie needed a father, God was there. God was who he was when Mackenzie needed her to be whatever was needed in that moment. You see, guys, when we reject the lie that God is only a man and absolutely nothing else, we open ourselves up to this wonderful and beautiful opportunity to experience God in new ways and hear God's voice through new people who we might never have before expected to house the voice of the divine. And when we do that, when we do that, it brings us all the more closer and bonds us all the more tighter to all the different kinds of people who are around us. In the book, uh, Lies We Believe About God, uh, William Paul Young actually has a, a, a section on this topic. And he touches on something that I think is really helpful. He says this, he says, imagery in the Bible was never intended to define God. Rather, imagery is a window through which we see aspects and facets of the nature and character of God. And I think that this is like a really important thing to remember because the Bible not only paints a picture of a God who has masculine qualities and feminine qualities, and a God who at the same time transcends all of those qualities altogether, but he also paints a picture of a God who is a bear. Right? The Bible talks about God being a bear, a lion, an eagle, a rock, 
a fortress, a shield. In other words, the Bible is continually using different words, different ideas, uh, different pictures in an effort to describe a, a God who is bigger than any one label, bigger than like any one gender, and whose nature is just as complex as our lives. And so that, that spirit of the divine creator then comes and meets us in whatever situation we're in, and he is or she is whatever we need him or her to be. Does that make any sense? I mean, that's, that's, to me, that's such a radical thought that God can come and be whatever we need him or her to be in that moment of our lives. And so don't be surprised today if God's voice comes to you in the form of a black woman named Papa or an old grandfather who has been through some ups and downs in his life or a transgender person whose gender you don't understand but yet has such a unique perspective on your own life's troubles and questions and problems. God transcends all the labels we put on him. And she is more than capable of coming to us in whatever complex way that our life might call for in the moment. And so I wonder who will you see God in today? I dare you to look deeper than you normally would and see who you can see God in today that you normally wouldn't think to look for God in. Much love to you, my friends. Uh, This is episode number 45 and uh, see you next time. Bye-bye.